With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, welcome into another edition of the Nick Bob Podcast live from the AOI Studios, a.k.a. my basement. It just sounds a lot cooler to say AOI Studios. And the reason we got to say AOI Studios is because they hooked us up. This... we're going to talk about the chairs, but Bo Root, this table, pretty solid table right here. It's the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. It looks like a ba- It looks like the lane of a basketball court. I think that's why I was drawn to it. They were like, we have this and this. I was like, I want that one. It's a basketball court. It's a fantastic uh, table. But if you're looking for a good chair, the Aeron from Herman Miller, I'm telling you, when you're comfortable, let's be honest, you work for a longer period of time. You're probably going to do better work because you're not taking as many breaks. You're not struggling. This pod might go two hours, but the one thing I promise you is we're going to be comfy the entire time. Yeah, and the chair goes up your back, helps your posture. Yes. That's a big deal when you can sit and you don't feel like you're slouching. You can sit upright. You don't strike me as a guy that has a propensity to get swamp ass because I kind of am prone to getting swamp I go to Florida from time to time. <laughs> I still get it. The one thing you don't have, it's breathable. You don't stick to it. It's fantastic. And how about this? In these little notes that AOI sent me, the Aeron chair is such an iconic piece of design. It is on display at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City and the Chicago Art Institute. Really? Is that not amazing? Yeah. We, I mean, but are they really uh, finding the artists anymore? <laughs> so got chair. Maybe that's a sign that art is... Uh, Maybe is, art's going down, but the chairs are going up. That is what, that is what it is. So uh, if you are thinking about new chair for your office, maybe you run a business, you need some new chairs, you got to check out the Aaron chair from Herman Miller because it is fantastic. Uh, and make sure you give him a call, 402-896-5520, 896-5520, or online at www.aoicorp.com. That's aoicorp.com. All right, you heard his voice. He's Bo Robert Rude. It is, uh, what is it, Monday, December 30th. And you and I had some some beers the other day, and, and you said, hey, do we want to do like a, a – a year in review pod where we kind of recap the year in sports. I said, absolutely. So you and I have been kind of putting the thinking caps on, texting back and forth. So we are going to deliver to you the 10 biggest moments slash stories in sports of 2019. Then we're also going to give you a little pop culture, you know, best movie of the year, song of the year, TV show of the year. The way we kind of, we've been kind of thinking about this is like if in 25, 30 70, 100 years, someone like, oh, what was 2019 like in sports? They should be able to listen to this pod and go, I know what it was like. Yeah. I know what it was like. And, and, but this is definitely our take on what yes. was important, which I think is, it wasn't necessarily just, you know, you, Google what was the biggest events because a lot of them we would totally disagree with. Yeah, These were like the, the ones. Kentucky, for instance, we looked at the Kentucky Derby, that whole. The horse, the horse happened. veered yeah, in front like, of the guy, you know, the, the other horse and got. Got the DQ, which was unprecedented, but I don't think 
the week after the Kentucky Derby, you're even thinking about it. No. I mean, I, I had forgotten. Like, you bring that up. I was like, oh, yeah. If you have to go, oh, yeah. If it doesn't pop in your mind this year, right now, when you need to think of it, then it's not a big enough story. It, 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 absolutely. So, this was, in all reality, but, you know, 10 is quite is quite a bit. I would say, what would you say the pool of, like, we wrote down probably like 14 or 15. 14 or 15 that even, I think, makes the... Of the, the year finalists, discussion. yeah, but didn't make the so about four or five things didn't make the cut, but so I guess it shows. But I wonder if in any year that's what it, it would be. It would be in that like yeah, it's got to kind of it's got to own the news cycle. It's got to own the conversation, and it's also got to be like an important enough event for the for the most part. Right, it's got to be a big enough story or an important enough event, like significance wise, to sort of make the list. You can't just hey. For a week, they talked about you, but it doesn't matter. Do now. you think, before we get into, to, we're going to go 10 to 1, do you think, are you confident, because I'm not confident that all the stories we're going to talk about are totally going to be things like, we're going to be talking about this for years to come. I don't know if that's necessarily true. Yeah, that I think that that's what the... But that's the beauty of isolating it of to a year. Of the year, of the decade, you really, really, like the, the top maybe two... Or right. three make that cut usually. It's really hard to make it to make a a, a moment of a decade. You've got to be remarkable. Yes. So yeah, you can be forgettable in a moment of the year list. Moment of the decade, you can't. You know, if it just. I mean, think about it for like if someone wrote down the songs of a decade or the movies of a decade. And let me tell you, this year's songs oh. of the year are going to be the most forgettable in the history of music. I'm telling you. Because you were you were pushing hard for song and album, which is smart because you got it like you, this has to be like a timestamp. Like yep. imagine right now if you could listen to a podcast from 1979 and someone was like, "We're going to give you the song," and like you'd be like, "What the hell are they going to put down for 1979?" The Bee Gees, stay alive! Like this is great. <laughs> <laughs> and it'd be funny to think about like 1979. Like I tell you what, this NCAA championship between Bird and Magic. See. Okay. That's the kind of that, stuff that, that makes you go like. Whoa. So I'm saying in 1979, if you if you make this list, Magic Bird probably makes number one, and because it's still the most, I think it's still the most watched college basketball game yes, ever. It is. And and think about that. Side note: Have you ever really watched that game? Not a very good game. Well, they basically it was like Larry Bird versus the entire Michigan State team. <laughs> like, well, and. You forget like basketball over the it's it's like each year defense guards people uh, like a f like six inches further out like Michigan State wasn't guarding Bird like nineteen feet from the hoop and Bird was just like swishing them and they were yeah. like Great Scott what do we do with this it's like, how do we defend it it's like it's an eighteen footer and he's Larry Bird someone has to go out there like without a harness without a harness we can't do it coach. I'm gonna go out to the. I'm gonna go out there. It's like, no, son, it's not safe. It's your funeral. <laughs> I knew a two guard that went out there one time. I've never heard of him again. I gotta get out there, coach, at 25 feet. No, Billy. What, no. Are you crazy, Billy. Get back here. <laughs> Don't challenge the three, Billy. No. That was the last time we ever saw Billy Edwards. <laughs> Great two gods, scrappy, but as you can tell, a little bit careless. Cause Challenged. of death. <laughs> Picked up the basketball. 
offensive player at half court, but that's what it was like. But that's so anyway. So that's what like heart attack, full court press. Never saw him again. Passed out right there. Nobody had ever gone the full court, full uh, way. But that's what it was. He watched that game. It's like, I got an adjustment for you, Michigan State. Maybe get out to bird at about 20 feet. But you remember, I mean, even think right now of the 1982 NCAA championship game, North Carolina, Georgetown. Remember Jordan shot against the 2-1. First of all, it was a 2-1-2. But remember, think about how packed in that zone was. Jordan was from about 18, wide open, catch shot. Like. They just threw it to Jordan. Think about this. Threw it to Michael Jordan. Don't guard Jordan Don't from 18. Don't guard Jordan at 18 <laughs> feet. And Jordan hit the shot to win the NCAA title. And then they then they threw it away to Worthy. Oh, and God, it's bad. So 1982, that's probably it. 1980 is Miracle on Ice. I think everybody picks Miracle on Ice as your... Right. Mom. Okay. So that's sort of how we That's how we got... Yeah. This. God, now, like, as we're framing this, I'm like... Yeah, we need to cut the pot and go research more. <laughs> no, we're there. we're there. Okay, we're ready to go? Yeah. Okay, without further ado, here are the 2019 moments slash sports stories of the year. At number 10, this was a late addition, but a good one because you brought it up, and it's so true. At number 10, Antonio Brown. And I don't know if you want to call it the Antonio Brown drama, two-month drama. The saga. He owned the summer. He was in the sports conversation seemingly every day from, I mean, what do you, like mid-summer, mid to early summer all the way through September. Yeah. So, I mean, he started with the the frostbite feet, which is... In the history of sports, we've never seen. He right. starts out with the frostbite feet, and then he's sort of week by week with with John Gruden and Mike Mayock. He just seems to keep doing things wrong, and then Hard Knocks picks yes. up the Raiders this year, and it we're all we're seeing it like we're hearing the rumors. Then you see it, and then you hear more rumors, and it sort of just spiraled from there. It because it all kind of starts with. Him, the drama of him wanting out of Pittsburgh. Like, that's kind of where the story begins. And then you have a guy that everybody wanted to kind of, for some reason, everybody wants to make fun of Gruden. He latches on to, so there's like, it's already a perfect storm of like leaving a great franchise, jumping on on the the train wreck franchise with the coach that's kind of like, Obviously, he had the Khalil Mack trade. He's been no, he had the Amari Cooper trade. He's been known for like, tell you what, with this guy Gruden, when he calls you to trade, it's horrible, yeah. you know. But so you have the frostbite. You have what else? I, the, well, so was, then, then he then gets you have the in helmet. The, then he gets the helmet that he he says he doesn't want to play unless he can wear his, wear helmet. his helmet. Then people are saying it's a publicity stunt. Um, and so it just seems like I think. You know, they're defending him. The coaches and Mayock were defending him. And then I think at some point, something started happening where it became contentious between the the coach and the management and Brown. And then it became like the, the altercation happened. Well, because the because uh, all of a sudden something happened where all of a sudden Mike Mayock went to the press and kind of called out A.B. 
And clearly, Mayock and Gruden were kind of doing the good cop, bad cop thing because Gruden was always like, I publicly support this guy. You know, yeah. Antonio Brown, <laughs> I admire his conviction with a helmet. And, uh, you know, like he, it was all of that. Knock on wood if you're with me. Knock person. on wood if you're with me for AB's helmet, guys. <laughs> but, and then at some point, it just. I, I, I don't know necessarily when it totally went south. It, it was in a practice. It, well, was, it happened, right? Well, and then think about, do you remember that Antonio Brown had a phone conversation with John Gruden in which he recorded the conversation? Oh, I, t- I see. I then, forgot that. Then made a video, like a pump-up hype video with the audio of the phone conversation. Like, I actually think that was like the point where there was like, what, what the fuck? What, what are we doing here? That like, is, so these things are all one guy in one summer. It's hard to remember them all. And, and he, like, yeah, he pushed his way out of, out of Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, did all that stuff with Oakland, you know, came down the hot air balloon, like all. Yes. And, and it, that's all happened in one summer. Like that's a, that's a lifetime of a bunch of like, People doing idiotic things to equal he that. Did it, he did it in like a six, seven week span. And that's just the beginning. And, <laughs> but you know, and, and so what it ultimately ends up in is Antonio Brown getting released and then picked up by the Patriots. Yeah. And then there was a, a little, a, a little. Narrative out there that like Antonio Brown had a plan the whole time that he was going to force his way out of the out of Oakland. Him and Rosenhaus knew what they, they were had doing. An, they had an an agreement that Belichick would then pick him up, and so that was a thing for a little bit. And then the second, basically, that I think he signs with New England, and what like two days after the fact, yeah. Then all the uh, sexualist. Uh, Sexual misconduct, or I don't even know yeah. what you would call it. Uh, allegations come out with his former trainer. Yeah. With and some of these stories were just like, what the hell? And Antonio Brown doesn't even deny them. Really. Yeah, he just says like, you know. And so it's just, it's just an unbelievable, like an unbelievable, just set of events that one guy who was the best receiver cool. in football potentially. Is and some people with. think is like a top. Some people we got into this debate, and it's kind of hard. Like because at first, at, when you first hear what I'm about to say, you go, "No way." Some people think he's like one of the five greatest wide receivers of all time. And I think your first thought is like, "No." I think no, but when people throw stats, you could probably prove it with his stats yeah, in a lot of ways. I, but but I I don't I, I don't never see it thought like that. that when I I watched him. I don't. I totally agree. Like. But so this isn't just Joe Schmo wide receiver. This is like the best wide receiver in the game, one of the best wide receivers ever, having an uh, a laughable level of drama for months at a time that ultimately ends with him getting released from the Patriots. Uh, and this might be a, a signal to people. I, th- I I have a theory. Give it to me. I've thought this for a while now, but. I saw Antonio Brown, and he had the dangly earring. <laughs> okay. Okay? The the single dangly earring that like has the yeah. initials in it. And I kind of go, you know what? If you look throughout history, the guy that wears that... The dangly? Makes big mistakes. He's always too confident, and he's always like... <laughs> 
he, he believes nothing. He can do anything he wants. Like LT was wearing that when it was like it was going yeah. south for LT. Like Dion, Dion was wearing wore it, the long ones, but it was like Dion was doing all yeah. sorts. I mean, Dion was Dion was Dion was more Dion was playing crazy. two sports, causing yeah. drama, doing that. Right. But Dion was awesome. Yeah, but. There's just a like the guys that do that. I'm like, man, the bad things might be. I just, it's like, that's if you, interesting. If you wear the dangly, it's not just confidence. It's so much freaking bizarro world right. confidence. I think it's almost bad. Yes. When you wear the dangly, that, I, you know, with what, your initials a, in it. That's a theory that, like, if I were running a research firm, I would green light more research into that. Like, I wouldn't necessarily say we are going to run Nick, with that. I have a theory <laughs> for you I'd like to propose. <laughs> Would you mind funding me? I, I would be will. like, we'll fund that research. Let me know in six months what exhibit you find Exhibit A, LT, yeah. exhibit B, Antonio Brown. <laughs> Within three months of wearing the dangly earring, both of their careers down Fell the apart. Drain. What do we connect the dots? The dangly earrings. The dangly earrings. Anything else we're missing with that before we get to the... Because as we wrap up every conversation, we're going to kind of have like a takeaway. Yeah, the big so the big takeaway is what? Well, for me... The big takeaway, this isn't like a huge takeaway, but it's like, I'm not so sure in a long list of kind of, you know, the diva wide receiver is like a thing. Yep. I'm not so sure that this isn't the quintessential example of what, of like diva wide receiver. You think of T.O. Remember when he was doing yeah. sit-ups in... He, he's putting T.O. to shame. Like he, uh, Ch- Chad John, Chad Ochocinco, mm-hmm. all the, like, to me, when I think of... Diva wide receivers that are just drama, drama, drama. I'm not so sure that Antonio Brown and I didn't. I, I didn't think this a year ago. I didn't think if we'd have been talking on December 30th, 2018, I didn't necessarily think Antonio Brown's nothing but drama. So that my big takeaway is he has parked and and planted the flag into diva wide receiver corner as the guy. I'll tell you what he he, he single handedly. I think people loved him in the spring, and I don't know that there's a he's got a fan on earth right now. It's hard to be a fan. I mean, I was get it was getting. I mean, it's like it got to the point. Pick a freaking helmet. Give me a break. The feet thing is like that. Sometimes that's a that, like that's just a mistake. It's stupid, but it's a mistake. I've heard of, I've heard stories of people having issues with that stuff, but yeah. like. That, that's a, a that's acceptable, but you know what the helmet stuff when when that the, stuff it looks bad to me now when he does all the other stuff. Then you go, well, this is part of what you do. The other takeaway I have is now it had been trending this way, but little bit of a subtle shot at the credibility of Hard Knocks. Hard Knocks as a show was branded as you want the unfiltered, 100% real, real, real story of what is going on in an NFL training camp, hard knocks. And you were like, oh my God. And initially, you did have that fly-on-the-wall feel, and it's kind of gotten over the years, chipped away, chipped away, chipped away. But this one to me was the ultimate, like, because every week, I don't know, because I was texting you, like, did you watch hard, like, Oh, I can't wait for Hard Knocks now. Like, I'd be so excited. Like, man, what is this episode going to be? And then you'd watch the episode and it didn't, nothing ever seemed like it was that big of a deal. They shouldn't even do it. If they're not going to let it be real and really have access, then you know what? Like, these guys are on their phones and there's media there all the time anyway. So, like, what are you getting special almost, you know? Anymore that it's almost become, 
I don't know if Hard Knocks has become it's about like the the random guys trying to make the roster and their backstories. It's, the it's about the head coach and the random two guys that that are grinding. They're grinding the that are really willing to talk to the camera. Though, that's Other the than thing. that, that's about it. But that's it. okay. Is that any other big takeaway you got on that? That's it. I mean, I think that's like obviously that's not one that transcends decades. Like it's not going to be. No. Hey, this this is a 2019 made the list, but it's not top of the list. But the reason I think it could have some staying power is because at least for me, like from here on, diva wide receiver is a is a term you hear in sports all the time. And to me, the the face I put with that that moniker now is Antonio Brown by a mile right now. So that that's where it's like you know what this could have some staying power. That's number 10. At number 9, Virginia winning the college basketball national championship. And this spills a, a little over into 2018 because that's kind of – like this is one of the more unbelievable one-year stories of redemption you'll see. So obviously the year before, Virginia is becomes the first one seed in the history of the NCAA tournament to lose to a 16 seed, UMBC. Then a year, and they got to wear that like a scarlet letter. They got to get all the jokes. They got to get all that. You know, I mean, like, think about that. When any NCAA tournament March Madness uh, highlight package, whatever, like, you get that. Like, you now have to wear that in a bad way. Yeah. They have an amazing run, an amazing journey. They get back to the NCAA tournament and as a one seed again and win a national championship. Pretty amazing one-year run. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, their team was fun to watch, too. I always felt like... There's certain teams that they that that when they get into the tournament, you're like every game they play is they're nail biting games and guys really take it to another level. And I think Virginia had you know three or four guys that really took it to another level and played played outstanding. Yeah. And they were fun to watch. Yes, I mean Kyle Guy hit three free throws to I mean like yeah th- they had some now that's the thing that's amazing about their run is boy were they like you think about NC State's run in 83 where all the all like the close law wins yeah. that they like it's the same thing they're gonna do a 30 for 30 on this I'm telling you 20 years from now there's gonna be some kids are gonna be like have you seen the Virginia 30 for like because that story is incredible especially with all the different getting fouled on the three I mean remember against Purdue they get the tip out yeah uh to Clark and he throws it into uh, and they get they get the score to take it into into overtime to to go into OT with Purdue like they were pretty fortunate to to win like three or four of their games in the tournament yeah but even that game had the the short who's the short guy for Purdue really uh, good Carson and he was Edwards. the guy he had been Edwards. going off all tournament too and he had a great you know yeah. so like those those type of games are are really what what elevate these kind of these NCAA championship teams. Some right. of you are very forgettable. It's like, but these, this teams were going to be remembered because they were tough games to get there. And so for people listening in the future in 2052 or whatever, like you, by now you probably have an unbelievable documentary made about this team because of like, think you can see it now. The first scene of the Virginia 30 for 30 is like, is going to be, and here we are in, in Charlotte, it is the 16 seed UMBC taking on. You yeah. know what I mean? And it'll yep. be like it'll the, it'll be that, and then it'll like cut to Tony Bennett in his office, like watching. You know what I mean? Just, just like, like how, how did this happen? You know? And then so it's like it is like a pretty cool arc. Yeah. You know, and it's again, I would say it's the greatest thing about sports is you know you give 
Like this is that's the kind of script you hand to Hollywood, and they're like, we need something that's kind of believable. Yeah, you know, you tell me this team's going to lose to a 16 seed, then win the next year. Uh, but yeah, so big takeaway. I have two. It's funny you. It's funny you mention about how fun their games are because what's interesting is. They've kind of Virginia's kind of become the poster child for why some people don't like watching college basketball in the regular season because they slow the game down. Their games are low scoring. Like some people point to Virginia as like, man, I don't want to watch college basketball. Who wants to watch a game that's 52 to 48 where I can see beauty in those games, you know, and they were a skilled team. Yeah, so I, I say fun because of the – I thought they had good – like I see good players. That's Agreed. fun for me to watch. Uh, the style, like if you score 120 points and you don't have good players, but it's just like that yeah. – the styles kick three, shoot a lot of three. Like I'm not necessarily – like that doesn't enamor me. Right. I like to watch good players play good basketball. I. But here's my big takeaway is it is the perfect example of just how fickle – and silly and stupid but awesome the NCAA tournament is. You have the exact same team. The exact same team in terms of its core. DeAndre Hunter, Ty Jerome, you know, Kyle got like the exact same team. One year they lose to a 16 seed and they're out in the first round. The next year they win the whole damn thing. They're they're they weren't that much better of a team the year before. It's just the nature of the NCAA tournament and how in basketball in 40 minutes anything can happen. When you don't do a seven game series, it's all up for grabs. At and it's just like anybody has a chance to win at any time. Yes. So, it, and that's kind of just the the great. That's the great thing about the tournament, but it's also the stupid thing about the NCAA tournament because because some of these guys like their their legacies are written out. Like Tony Bennett in in a year ago, people are like, okay, he can't win. He can't sucks in the it. tournament. He can't do it. His style never wins. And now here he is winning. And it's like, did he get that much better? I don't know, but. So there you go. At number nine, Virginia winning the college basketball national championship. At number eight, we're sticking in college. Now, I'm really curious to get your take on this. I just wrote down Clemson wins again. Clemson, Dabo Sweeney and those guys, this is their second national title that they had won in the last three years. Now, as we're taping this, they're getting ready to take on LSU in the national title, so they could win back to back and have it be three and four years, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, if they were to win this next coming week, um, then this is a, a, even a more important story this year. Yes. Um, well, I guess that would technically fall into next. But year. but but they're all yeah it, connected. It's a bigger, deal. just like the Virginia losing to UMBC was in 2018, but it's still. It still matters with how you view what they did in twenty. For sure. So when we do, we, if we do this again next year, yes, and they win, we're gonna put it way higher in the list because back it's a back. big back to back is so hard to do. It yeah. is so flipping hard to do, and the fact that they've won two in three, three years, years uh, that's that's saying something about what Dabo's done for that program. Okay, so I want to talk about Dabo because you help me out with this. I'm not so sure that Dabo Sweeney isn't. The best coach that I have the least feel for what makes them great. There's something about him that isn't easily quantifiable or easy to sink your teeth into 
stating what makes them great. Uh, okay, I'm embarrassed to ask you this question, but I'm going to ask you this. Is he a former offensive coordinator? I, I don't even know. That's what I, I'm like. I don't know. So I don't even know what his area of expertise, like what side of the ball. I don't think he calls he, the plays, though, right? No, I don't think so. No, I, he's, I, I, he was I know position. Brent Venables is a defensive coordinator, and yeah, that's so like. I think Dabo, he was a position coach. I thought that so. became the head coach at Clemson. He was there, and he stayed there. And I don't know if he is the offensive coordinator or had been the offensive coordinator or kind of what his role is with calling plays at all. But, yeah, like I don't know what his expertise is. I guess. So here we go. Shouts out to Wikipedia. He was a GA at Bama for two years. Then at Bama, he was a wide receiver tight ends coach. Then moved to just being the tight ends coach. Then for two years, 98 to 2000 at Bama, he was a wide receivers coach. Then for three years, he must have not been in coaching. Then from 03 to 06, he was a Clemson wide receiver coach. 07, 08, he was associate head coach, wide receiver coach. Then becomes the interim head coach in 08, and then is the head coach in 2009 till now. So he basically was a wide receiver coach. That, wide receiver, then he was interim head coach OC. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so he's an offensive guy. And now I'm guessing he does not call the plays. I don't think I I not th- I don't think he calls the plays. Yeah. But so it's weird. Do you see him like every coach has that, you know, Phil Jackson's the Zen master and like, you know, like uh, Belichick's like the the detailed guy that yeah. that maximize like I don't with Dabo Sweet Saban's kind of the disciplinarian old school guy yeah. like I don't know Dabo is what I mean the Clemson fans would probably you know tell you to the detail what he is I just don't know I you know it's, it, it, they just won a national title and I feel like in Big Ten country you hear a lot about Big Ten coaches. And you hear a lot about Nick Saban, and you don't hear a lot about Dabo. And so, even this, while he's winning championships, you don't necessarily like this guy's. He's recruiting the best talent in the country. Like they, I looked at their recruiting this year. They got like five or six five star guys this year, which they're leading the country in five stars. And they've been doing that the last few years. So they're they're getting all the recruits. And I mean, if you watch their teams, those dudes play hard they yes. play tough hard football so he's, he's doing something I mean, Deshaun right. Watson was a great yeah. college player and obviously he's been a great pro quarterback but like what I would Trevor we, Lawrence hasn't lost yet right yeah, right guy hasn't e, lost a game yeah, ETN's a really good running back like they got they got some dudes on defense always that, like, do like I enjoy watching them play uh what I think it is like if I to get to like the takeaway with Dabo and this can be the takeaway with the Clemson thing is number one college football you you can say what you want it's about recruiting mm-hmm. so that's my takeaway from him but then the other thing i think with him is we sometimes get lost in the sauce of how we view coaches and coaching isn't necessarily about how good your baseline out of bounds sets are or how awesome your third down blitz packages are out of the three four or what your you know whatever Coaching is still about relationships and building relationships with the people around you. And what I think is his secret sauce is that. I think because one of the things that people pointed out last year is 
You know who's had a lot of turnover in his coaching staff is Saban. Mm-hmm. Like every year it's like his DC's gone, and then his OC's gone, and then this guy's gone, and then that guy's gone, and then this guy's gone. You know who doesn't have very much turnover ever? Clemson. I wonder what that's interesting because Saban's guys are are leaving because of they're getting jobs, right? They're they're getting promoted, which is good for Saban. I mean, not it's not good for Saban, but it's good on Saban for getting those guys jobs. But Dabo's it'd be interesting to see what happens with Dabo's staff because it seems like you know usually if you're winning titles, you're getting your your coordinators plucked. You you would think so because somebody's throwing those guys right. Five to seven but, million a year, but there could be a thing where it's like some of these guys just like Dabo so much that they want to stay with him. Well, you know, we'll, we'll so, see. Or 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 Dabo's really good and and yeah, forking over the dough for these guys, well, you know. But like no, or just that like if, if his coordinators aren't as good as he is, that tells you how good he is because nobody's turned down seven million dollars, right? If you're making a million as a coordinator, you're making a lot of money. Most coordinators don't make that much, right? So. These good head coaches are making five to seven. And if you if I bet you if you left Dabo staff, you take a big time job, you're making five to seven. I just think there's that would be my thing is like because even the way you guys have talked about you and your brother have talked about Bo Pelini is like, yeah, Bo was really technically sound with how he taught football, but I'm not so sure that the thing that all the guys that played for Pelini referenced the most is more so like the relationship that they felt with him. Yeah, he he had a gift for for motivating and authenticity. Yes. His players believed what he said. And and I think as much as sometimes Dabo comes across as a like there are times I hear Dabo talk and I'm like he comes across as a little full of shit to me. Like a, but the, he must he gets his guys like that to to play together, to play hard and the stat, like everybody's just really united over there. Mm-hmm. And so maybe maybe that's it. But I guess that's my thing is like Clemson football and Dabo Sweeney is becoming the the dynasty in the making that I don't necessarily know exactly how to like it's, explain. I don't know that for it's being me. covered as much as it probably should for how good they've been. I still hear more so much more about Alabama, about Ohio State and Michigan. You hear like about the, Harbaugh. You hear. I, about, I hear like, so much more about them, and that's probably just from being in Big Ten country. But I just feel like I'm not. I just haven't really got my feel for, right. for Clemson yet. So that's Clemson winning again, and kind of Dabo, and you know, could this be the beginning of like, I mean, or not necessarily the beginning, but like really solidifying like you are. They win this year. It's like they're. Because it's hard to call them a dynasty right now, but they win you, this year. You win. You, you win, win this back year. to back in three and four. You're a dynasty. You are. You are. No, there's no question. You are. I mean, it, it's it's like Nebraska in the '90s. They were a dynasty. Yes. It's if you win three and four and you're in the hunt for a couple years, which they were, like you're a dynasty. Yes. Like that that's it. Like it's not a fluke, a one timey. It all worked. It's like even right. if you win twice, it's like wow. You know how hard it is to win one. Oh, it's brutal. It's brutal. We're um, trying to get to a bowl game here in Nebraska. Yeah. Like to God, win a man. national title. Like yeah. that's the other thing too. It's a side note about like when you watch those games, you're like, oh boy, is Nebraska a long ways away from that? We got it. We got a few years. <laughs> but the reality is, like, I mean, you saw Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma against LSU, hmm. LSU like a, a another level, which spills into our seventh biggest story of twenty nineteen, Joe Burrow. 
and his rise and winning the Heisman. His story is nothing short of incredible. It's one of, I'm not so sure it's, it's one of the most, it's going to be to me one of the most memorable Heisman Trophy winning seasons, especially if they win the national title. This is as good of a season as any individual quarterbacks put together. That, that's what my brother. I went to the the Husker basketball game yesterday with my brother, and we were that we were talking about Joe Burrow, and he said he thinks this is the best a quarterback has ever played in the history of college football, like the best game to game for an entire season a guy has ever played. And I, I mean, if you watch the the four games I've watched of him, he's been almost perfect. I mean, he has been unbelievable. He threw for did he throw for eight or seven touchdowns? Seven touchdowns in for, the first half, he right? Threw for seven <laughs> touchdowns in the college football playoff semifinal against Oklahoma. That's phenomenal. You and I could go hook up the Nintendo and play Tecmo Bowl, and it's hard to throw seven touchdowns in Tecmo Bowl in a game in not a just game. A half. Like, so I. Like as much as it feels like hyperbole, he is close to putting the finishing touches on one of college football's masterpiece seasons. I watched his first game of the year. I watched them play a, a Texas team that was ready at, to go. At the playing. time, yeah, yeah, like, and you know, he made he you know he came, brought them and closed that game out with a couple unbelievable plays, and you could feel it in that moment, like in that right. moment, that first game. Something flipped, and I think everybody in the stadium went, this dude's for real. You better watch out for LSU because this is no joke. Like, you could feel it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those, like... <sighs> like, I'm I think, here. Yeah, like, I think everybody that wins the Heisman, that happens at some point in the season where everybody kind of knows, like, this isn't normal. This is, this is the special stuff. And yeah. that happened in his first game, and then it carried on all year, and he, then he, he beats Alabama... Um, then he beats Georgia in the SEC, and then they just wally mopped freaking Oklahoma. Oklahoma. And it is so. I mean, he well, he just beat was at four teams there that you would call top five teams in the country at the time. Well, and was the, the Bama game was at Bama, right? At Bama. I mean, he went into Bama it's and beat him and hung forty high forties. I mean, like yeah. and. You even look at he he didn't complete every game he played in. He didn't complete less than seventy percent of his throws. That's the thing is his decision making looks like it's at a pro level right now because his arm and his body are nothing special. They really aren't. Like yeah. he's not like he's not a, a he's not a he's not a bad athlete. He's not a Matt. He's not a Matt Stafford arm. He's not a Lamar Jackson runner. See, he's just like right. He's 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 tall. He's got a good arm. He's got, you know, good athleticism, but he's nothing like outrageous, right? right. But his decision making is the thing that you've never I've never seen somebody in college look so comfortable and make it look so just kind of effortless. And that's, you know, he's not Tom Brady now, but like when you watch a guy like he's Brady, got, yeah, like, it's it's a little bit of that where it's just like the ball's out, he's not making mistakes. Ever, he's just like it's it's the right decision. I just think one of the the mark one of the marks of greatness is is guys just they make it look really easy. Yeah, and that's one of the to me that's almost the defining quality of Brady to me. Like when I watch Brady play, like I'm just like God, this he make he's making this look simple. 
it's pro- like simple read throw like it, it, it's like processing information and accuracy and, and, and making quick decisions in the moment that's the skill that that i don't think you can really i don't think people even understand like they can they can say hey arm strength hey leg speed but processing information making quick decisions those two things you can't really see right on the outside you it happens on the inside and joe burrow i think has a gift and that's his gift it's it's just amazing though to think about all the stuff we're talking about this guy that got beat out a bunch at ohio state you know like got was beat out by Dwayne haskins uh you know like a guy that was there's a chance that he was gonna stand on the sideline for his whole career yeah for his entire career and to watch to to have it be that close to being that was what his career is going to be to now what we're seeing here is just incredible. Yeah, and I think it's especially relevant to the Nebraska, to Nebraska people because yeah. he one I mean he almost came here, but two it's just the Nebraska ties. I mean I, I I'm I you know I played with his brothers and yeah. I I know his family. I knew his dad when I was like his he played with our like yeah so yeah. he played with our yeah. our because I think they're the same year seventy four yeah. so they. So Jimmy Burrow played with with Rich Ba and my dad Tom Rude uh, in the seventies, and so we've always known them. They used to come back for the the Martins party, and I remember you know the, the Burrows are really competitive. And we were always playing basketball. Jimmy and Dan were playing basketball, right. and we were always super competitive. Um, but they always would you know the, the brothers would tell us about um, this little brother they had. They go they go yeah he's they called him Super Burrow. You know as he yeah. was coming up as a teenager because they said. Yeah, he's like us, but he's six foot four and has an arm. You know, like <laughs> yeah. the Burrows are really good football right. players and athletes, but they're like, you know, five eleven, six foot two, you know, like they're not like they're not like they didn't have that extra yeah. couple inches and sort of the the thing that Joe had. So they always joked and called him Super Burrow. And then all of a sudden a few years later, it's like you go, Oh, this guy's going for the Heisman. And you right. go, What happened? But you know, it's, it's just, just an unbelievable I mean, story. He was 200 to 1 to win the Heisman. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, he was, again, people always love to point to the uh, to the whole Martinez and all oh, Nebraska hats. Like, they're in, we talked about this before, like, there wasn't anybody that would have, that would have, I think if you would have pulled all of the country from Dabo Sweeney to Lovey Smith to whoever, and said, you can have Joe Burrow or Adrian Martinez as your starting quarterback. I think all of them would have chose Adrian Martinez. Well, the, the, the problem, too, was it wasn't like Burrow was transferring. He was transferring at semester. He was transferring after spring ball. Yeah. And that's the big thing that people need to remember is Martinez came in early. He basically won the job in spring, and we had two quarterbacks that were both Doing pretty good, but no. Martinez. But I'm talking about the they. Bo, they had a season. You always forget. Joe played a season for LSU last year. Exactly. So that's my point. Is like that's he, the thing. Like he, there was a season of him playing at LSU that you didn't see this coming. Exactly. And so like, that's what I mean. Like, but people were talking like when, especially like after oh yeah, Martinez, yeah, right. Nobody was knocking down the door to take Burrow over Martinez. I I remember just texting with with. Uh, his brother, you know, at, we were yeah. at this thing, and we're, I was like, we got to get Joe to Nebraska. But I didn't realize, I think, how good Martinez was going to be as a freshman. I just thought, 
I know I I'd watched Joe play a little bit for Ohio State and thought we got to get this guy, right? Got to get a quarterback. But I also didn't know anything about Martinez. It's just, it's one of the most, it's it's truthfully one of the most unbelievable college football stories you'll see. And again, I don't think it's crazy to say that if he goes out here and beats Clemson and caps off this season with a national championship, you're talking about one of the if you want to just back off the hyperbole a little bit, you're talking about one of the three or four greatest individual quarterbacking seasons in the history of college football. Yeah, because we've had a lot of these Heisman guys that I think... Uh, yeah, RG3 like, you know, like, and... And they, and they don't know, win it, or you have win, those James like... James Winston. Who or, are the two? Like Derrick Henry, Mark right. Ingram for Alabama. Like Those are like... I think those guys won the, the Heisman because their teams were so good and they were just the guy to give it to in their team. This is an instance of a guy playing out of his mind, taking a whole program, elevating the program to the point where they're going to win a title potentially. And if he does that, it might be the single best season of in modern history from a player. I mean, that's how good it is. I, I think... So big takeaway. Do you have a big takeaway? I know we hit on a lot there, so it's hard. Like I, I just think the takeaway is 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 maybe the best a quarterback has ever played. Like true, like a throwing quarterback. I mean, running quarterbacks have had had seasons, I, but this is like start to finish a game in game out, like as close to perfect season I've seen from a quarterback. I think I think one of my takeaways with him is he's a prime example of. Not everybody has greatness in them, but sometimes greatness is the right situation and opportunity away. Yes. How there there pro, who who's to say how many Joe Burrows there have been? Now again, now I'm not saying they all could be like how many really good players just never for whatever reason, never found the right situation for them, never got the right opportunity, or in Burroughs' case, never transferred to find that opportunity, whatever. I just think it's an interesting case study for like, man, they're, like you just sometimes, sometimes you need the right situation and the right opportunity. Yeah, like, um, you know, does, does do certain running backs, if they're behind Alabama's line, they probably win Heisman's too. Yeah, I mean, does Rex Burkhead or Amir Abdullah win the Heisman? I think so. I bet they could. Yeah, one of those Alabama teams. Yes, give them the ball twenty times a game, and they're in the national spotlight each week. That's how you win it, the right situation in the right year. Like you write the circumstances with with like the with that person. It's just like certain – it just doesn't work out. And, and it's not to take away from anything from like Burrow because it's not – because like I'm not saying it's like, well, that's – like, no, you still – that's why I started like not everybody has greatness in them. Like you, you have to start with that. You have to be special. And, and you know what he needed to? Like it all had to work out right. Like that new offensive coordinator and a couple really good receivers gave this guy who has the special skill set to deliver it. Right. Like all those things – came together in one year and it was just like now it's happening but you know what he, the circumstances had to work out for both sides yes for LSU and for Burrow it had so, to work out I guess that's the other thing too is like because like to me there's there's greats and then there's like legends mm -hmm. and to me legends are guys that defy circumstance yeah. that you can put them in any 
any situation at any time, and they're going to be great. Like LeBron James is like defies circumstance. Yep. It doesn't matter who who he's playing with, where he's playing, he's going to be great. Not everybody's necessarily like that. Yeah. And so this is also a, a of not only is it about Burrow, but it's also about like the perfect storm of all these different things colliding yeah. in the perfect moment in time to take off. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, there's going to be quarterbacks have been transferring a lot Whoa. lately. These last three years, Baker, Kyler Murray, uh, Justin Fields, and now Joe Burrow, the four best quarterbacks the last two years have all been transfers. So if you're a quarterback, it's almost like there's a part of you that has to want to go, one, get to school early, graduate early, and go to the circumstance that's going to fit you the best because, as you can see, circumstances matter. Yes. And side note before we move off of Joe Burrow, like, and and I may, I, again, I'm a hypocrite because I wouldn't have said this a year ago probably, but I just was never a huge Dwayne Haskins guy because that's who he got beat out by, right? Haskins. Uh, Nebraska I, I so much about prefer, beat that team because Haskins was playing. That's what, like, I so much pref, more prefer Joe Burrow to Dwayne Haskins. Nick, I, I'm telling you, I saw they were. We were playing them. We got beat 60-something to nothing. I went to Ohio State. And Joe Burrow got in the third quarter and started, like, balling out on us. And I went, oh, this guy's for real. Yeah. Like, like I hope this guy never <laughs> literally has to play us. Or, like, what happened that he uh, – maybe we could get him at our – like, because I saw it. I saw the sort of, like, the instincts, the – you could just see it he's in the got, way he plays. He's got that little it and thing he's to him. And he's freaking just, got swagger for days. Yeah, and that right. stuff is contagious. Yes. And so you can see that whole team is confident because he's so confident. It has been an embarrassment of riches at the quarterback spot for years there. I mean, they had Car JT Barrett, Cardell Jones, Braxton Miller, Dwayne Haskins, Joe Burrow, Justin Field. Like, that's just like they've had that's six quarterbacks in the past six, five, six years. Yeah. I, but that's, I guess embarrassing. I, I, it's, I, it's it's an unbelievable set of quarterbacks, though. I I, I think the mistake was not playing Joe, though. I, mean, I do too. I mean, I, I I'm telling you, they had the option between JT Haskins and Joe, and they went JT, and then they went Haskins, and then they went Justin Fields. So yeah. Urban Meyer, like, it's not an easy call because you know what? Like you say, I think Joe's a guy that does it good in practice. I think he's a guy though. You got to get him in the game. And he separates from those other guys. Right. He's a different guy than them in a game. In a game, process, make decisions. Under pressure. Under pressure. Under the lights. That all is that. why, Tom, same reason Tom Brady sat behind Drew Henson at, at Michigan. Same reason. Yeah. Is because Drew Henson had gifts that Tom Brady doesn't. He could probably throw it farther. He's probably bigger, probably stronger, probably faster. And what would happen in the game? Drew Henson sort of didn't have that like that little thing that Brady has, which is process, handle the moment, make the quick decision. Like all those little things when it matters, it's not much. It's like a it's a it's a little centimeter it's, that some guys have, some guys don't. And I think Joe Burrow has it, and I, it's just it's a gift. It's a weird thing of being able to like rise to the to the moment without without even seeming like the moment is impacting you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you feel it, but it, it doesn't bother him. But it doesn't bother him. Yeah. So it's like you're acknowledging the moment, but it's like 
I don't I don't care that it's third and nine and I gotta rip this like slant in a tight window like whatever. It's confidence yeah. though. Uh, confident people. That's what in the moment you gotta be confident because you got confident people can go to that yes. other place where they're in that zone. You're in the zone. You're not in the. I'm thinking about what's going to happen. If I don't do this right, everyone's going to write about it. That's the thing. Everyone's going to talk about it. With Burrow, Burrow has like had an entire season in the zone. Like, you know, when someone's like, oh, this guy's hot. Like, he's somehow had 14 games now of like, he's in, he's feeling it every year. He is locked in. I mean, like, you know how hard that is? Locked in. I think he's going to be a good pro, too. Like, I just don't, I mean, he looks like a guy to me. Like, I don't see anything that's like, eh, I don't know. You watch this. So we'll see. We'll, Right now they're talking he's number one pick, all right. But this ha- this is what's going to happen when it comes draft time. They're going to look at the guys that are bigger, stronger, and faster. And then the coach that's picking one and the GM are going to have to go. Are we watching this film? Are we believing? Like, are we remembering that this game is played like between your ears mostly? And We'll see what happens because every year they don't take because like guy Trevor Lawrence is big. I bet like Trevor Lawrence it can can he go? The draft uh, he's a year? sophomore, so he he's has a true one more year. But see? I'm just using him as an example. Like that's the perfect example. He, I think I think people would draft Trevor Lawrence is great. He's great, but, but I think people would draft Trevor Lawrence over Joe Burrow. Yeah. right now. and that's not as like people say. I mean, Joe Klatt has said that he thinks Trevor Lawrence is like the best quarterback he's seen in college since Andrew Luck. So like, hey, I mean, th- yeah, but that's choosing it. between Kathy Ireland and Cindy Crawford. There, you know, it's like. Roof being raised with those two, but so you're saying that's a win-win. Yeah, <laughs> it's what, what we saying. call ourselves a win-win. Oh, look at us, Bo. It, we are at the 52 minute mark, and we were at at we're through number seven. Uh, can we do a two-parter? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Joe Burrow got us worked up. All right, you ready for number six? Yes. At number six, Kawhi Leonard and the Toronto Wap Toronto Toronto Wapters. Hi, Wabbit. I want a Wabbit and a Wapta and a Kawhi when a the World West We <laughs> Wedderation. <laughs> Nick Ba. <laughs> Kawhi Wenad with the, the, the Waptas and won a Wapa. So Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors win the NBA title. Uh, <laughs> just still crazy to say out loud that like the the Toronto Raptors won couple of things with this story it's a it's a weird one where it's like because Kawhi is so such an enigma you talk about like the ultimate pass of like the dude kind of had an enormous falling out in San Antonio him and pop like clearly like we're not feeling each other. All those vets like Manu and Tony Park and those guys kind of started like calling him out publicly because he was not playing with his thigh thing. Mm-hmm. And then even in the playoffs, he wasn't with the team while like he wanted out of there. So it's kind of a weird story where it's like people would say he's a really likable guy, but it's funny how certain actions land a certain way based on how we feel about that person. If, uh, Russell Westbrook or James Harden had maybe the same six months of like acting like that. People would have been like destroying him. But for some reason, Kawhi Leonard, it's like, ah, no, Kawhi's a good guy. It's, like, it comes down to one thing. He shuts his mouth. He doesn't give, he doesn't you give you anything. Get a chance. Like all you got to do sometimes is just be quiet and people, their attention spans aren't good enough. Right. Yeah. So 
they want to make a problem, and like the, the only way it can is they're gonna they're gonna write it, they're gonna they're gonna hint at it, they're gonna spread the rumor, and they're gonna they're waiting for you to make the statement. And as soon as you do, your your hook, you know, yeah, they'll get you, gotcha, yeah. gotcha on the hook. Yeah. Now you're fished. Now they're gonna reel <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. and you gotta fight it, right? Right. And Kawhi just is one of those. Never. He's the fish sitting there, just staring at the hook, just kind of looking at it. It's like, why would anyone ever bite that fake? And worm? then you just. Reel up the line. And so there's just it. so many things with this story. First of all, it's one of the more mate like uh, sorry to go Simmons on you, but like there's so many things You go with, Simmons on me twice a week, man. Let me just tell you something about this. <laughs> I think this whole Musayu Jerry situation and but there's so many things to kind of because I think you gotta like again it's a lot of these stories like the be- the beginning of them kind of like happen is in twenty eighteen. Is this Kawhi's season or is are we talking the championship, like, is it sort of the whole? It's the whole because I think it's the whole thing. Because it's yeah. like, think about it. Toronto was winning; they were winning a lot. Yep. They were like winning, like one seeds in the East, two seeds in the East, and they finally hit a point after LeBron had just like, you know, waxed that ass so many times, where Masai Ujiri and the Raptors decided. Being good isn't good enough. We we want to if we know what these we know with keeping Kyle Lowry and Demar Derozan and keeping Dwayne Casey and all these guys together, we know what that's going to yield. It's yeah. going to yield a great regular season and probably not anything more than that. So many people are afraid to go for great when they're good, and I kind of admire that Toronto was willing to say, "Fuck it." We're gonna twa- we're gonna we're gonna trade DeMar DeRozan. We're gonna fire the NBA coach of the year, Dwayne Casey. We're gonna hire Nick Nurse, a, a guy that was like a nobody G League coach, you know. And we're going to within this trade, we're gonna we're gonna rent Kawhi Leonard for a year, knowing that you know what this guy probably isn't gonna be here. But to hell with it, we're going all in right now to try to be great and it worked it's actually amazing it's incredible and i think it was really good for the nba because we've been living in the world of okay yeah you're you're good but not great what do you do well maybe let's just tank and instead of tanking they said let's be great yeah and let's mortgage our future for one year and let's bring in one guy that can really, you know, do this. And, and I don't think people in the past wanted to do that. Take that one year of like, take the chance for one year of it's gonna. If it's because not if gonna it doesn't last, work, you're you're. Yeah, you're screwed. You're fired. And this showed you. You know what? You do that, and it could pay off. And it did pay off. They won the championship, and now they're back to square one, which is. So what you got? But it's like you'll never get a title up in Toronto again, probably. I mean, you so know, you got your title. To so. a certain extent, it's like whatever. Even I think the fans are like whatever. The fans are fine. They Kawhi Leonard it. went back and played at Toronto, and they gave him like a roaring like because it's like what well, I mean. You look. know who their best player was? Vince Carter up to that point, yeah. a guy who was there for a few years and was like, I got to get Left out of here. Him. Yeah, you know. So they're. They're happy as clams. So there. so it's just I think I think you got to start with like the framing of how. Of the of like the the mindset that it took to even pull off this trade, yeah. And so it's clear it's a one year rental. Then you have the whole load management thing, where Kawhi Leonard plays I think sixty two regular season games or whatever. 
I think we, throughout the season, underestimated how good the rest of that team was because they also made an aggressive trade at the deadline to get Marcus Gasol, too. And Marcus Gasol, is a, I've, lo- I've always loved Marcus Gasol. He's a winner. Smart. Like He's kind of like if you... I feel like if you were like... Seven feet? Seven feet <laughs> and from Spain, you would be Marcus Gasol. He's seven. a good passer, high post, smart, kind of like... like You got a little Marcus Gasol to you. Oh, thank you. But he doesn't... You run better than Marcus Gasol. But their team... Were, they were able to win even when he missed 20-some games, you know. But then in the playoffs, what's amazing about it is, uh, you know, he hits. He has one of the most incredible game-winning shots to beat Philly because that was to win the series. I mean. A corner three that hit was like five bounces off the rim. Uh, I mean. Unbelievable. But the thing like, about that's how – that's like the, the, the 2019 is written by Kawhi. It's also this close. This like it, it took that shot to get him there, which it just blows your mind. So it, what's funny is we sit here and we praise him. Like they went for it, they were great, and it worked. But they were all there was also they were this close to, you know, if that shot doesn't go down, I think Philly. I'm not so sure. I mean, Philly was pretty good. You know, yeah, it's, but you but, know what? That that's why sports yes. are the best. It's the best thing in the world that I know right now because that stuff is what separates it. Like it can be. It can be as something as arbitrary as the bouncing of that ball in the rim, and it's either you're the hero in Kawhi or you're the goat. It's just like that. That oh. shot was unbelievable. I mean, Kawhi sitting there holding it like crouched down, everybody watching it, like just and he shot it over Embiid. Yes, and it's just incredible. Oh. So I think there are a couple things with uh, a couple things with this Kawhi Toronto title. Uh, but Simmons, in they the win house. the title. Hotel tonight, but uh, so they get to the they get to the finals and they're playing Golden State, and we'll get to this here in a second. But I do think if you're if you're asking me, would I summarize the 2019 NBA Finals as was that series more about Toronto or more about Golden State and the injuries? I would say it was more about Golden State and the injuries. Yeah, because let's be honest, if Kevin Durant's healthy. That's tough. They're tough to beat. They they're beating Toronto. Yeah, they're real tough to beat because because that Toronto team played really well. I mean, Siakam was a t- Siakam elevated and was like now he's a legit player. Yeah, yeah he's like an uh, going to be like a perennial All Star so, now. Like, so that was big. But and Fred Van Fleet was like the closer. But see, that's where you know that. That dude is out of his mind because that dude's not Siakam. That dude's like some, you know, he's Wichita State. He's I Wichita watched, I State. Watched Fred Van Fleet play a lot. He's good, but he's also not like oh, the closer me. on an NBA final. Trust team. me, when I was watching Grant Gibbs guard whoever, like I yeah. was not thinking that's a guy that's going to make big shots in Game Seven of the NBA. Exactly. Finals. So that's where you know that that's one of the amazing things about that that series was guys like Van Fleet, like uh, out of his mind, but. We got to talk about Kawhi Leonard because I will say there was an element of Kawhi that when he was when he was really good with San Antonio, you kind of thought to yourself, okay, is he really good? This sounds stupid because you could see that he was great, but you were like, is he good because he's playing for arguably one of the best coaches to ever coach and Greg Popovich? Is he good because he's playing with one of, in the, one of the greatest cultures ever in sports in the Spurs? Is he good because he's playing with Manu Ginobili and Tim Duncan and and Tony Parker and Boris? Like, is he good because of the situation or is he really good? 
And I always thought he was really good, but this, to me, this playoff run solidified Kawhi Leonard has to be in the conversation. Like, when you're talking, like, all-time great players, and he's not, like, one of the 10 greatest. He's not even one of the 20 greatest. But, like, you, you got to, like, when people, when you tell the story of basketball in the 2010s, like, you got to include Kawhi Leonard. Oh, you, you no doubt include it. it He's such a enigma is the problem. He, he he's a if he were a more public figure, I think the the story would be a lot different because he was this quiet guy, San Diego on, State, and then uh, and he was more of a defender rebounder who developed the offensive game. But his def, his defense rebounding was elite of elite, elite of elite. His body. His ginormous his hands, hands, like I mean, that's what you'd call elite of elite. I think he's. I heard he was like stronger than a freaking ox oh, too. Yeah. Like he's it, he's like skinny but strong as an ox. So he's one of those guys with giant paws. Yeah. But now he's developed a shot with touch and an offensive feel, a good feel. And so all of a sudden, this stuff is just sort of developed. Where usually guys have it, and you're like, oh well, that guy's great at this, and he's. And it's, now you see it in the NBA where his is like it was a slow, steady stream of improvement to where like, oh, now he's the best player in the league. And you're like, what? When did that happen? Yeah, because he he's a guy that couldn't shoot really coming out of college. So he got to where he was like he people were amazing that he got to where he had like a respectable like, damn, you can kind of shoot. And now it's like he's obviously good enough to carry teams to a championship. And also the thing about him too that's kind of cool in a world full of like he'll shoot threes, but what's his best shot? His best shot, in my opinion, is that little like fourteen foot pull up, in with somebody in his face. He too. can, and so in a world full of analytics telling you don't shoot the mid range, well, he'll shoot threes, but like he kind of mid ranges you to death. I love that mid range. That's, so like, that's my favorite shot in basketball. Yeah, and so. It. I guess my takeaway is kind of like the Kawhi, like Kawhi Leonard, like it's a bunch of things. Toronto going for it, uh, and then just Kawhi kind of elevating and and solidifying himself in the conversation as like this guy's like an, a, a not just like a guy that was a good player on a on a championship team. Like he's a great player that can carry a team to a, to the finals. And there, the list of when you start putting a pen to paper and go, who are the players that can carry a team to the finals? Not a very long list. I mean, you go like Wilt Russell, uh, Bird, Magic. You, if you want to throw like Moses Malone, Doctor J, uh, by yourself, by, by yourself, I, Walton. Uh, Jordan. Cause I even hard to say Isaiah. Cause Isaiah had like a great team. Can't really say Kobe or Shaq. Cause they sort of did it with somebody else. Braun. Braun. It's Braun. And right now in the 20, in the 20 teens, it's Braun. It's Kawhi. If Harden could win one, you'd say Harden, but he can't win one right now. So I guess the point is, is like he has solidified himself into the, into a, into like a pantheon of yep. like, very few players get there. For sure. Very few players get there. So that is number six. And number five spills over to the other side of who was in the finals. And that is Golden State's dynasty comes to an end. Huge story. They they were a bigger story year round than Kawhi was. Probably, but Kawhi, Kawhi had probably that the finals run 
and then the the month of uh, or the couple weeks of free agency that yeah. was sort of just Kawhi centric. Took him right? to it, yeah. But the year was still like the Warriors were coming off the the title. They were coming off of three titles in four years, and they were going for the three peat, which is rare air, rare air. So the drama, the drama with the Warriors, and sort of that whole the way that whole saga played out to the eventual collapse, that was a huge story in itself. Absolutely. The couple things with that is like first of all. It is, in my opinion, the greatest. That is the greatest offensive team in the history of basketball. It's hard to argue. I mean, I'm a '96 Bulls guy till the day I die. The '86 Celtics were a fucking thing of beauty. I don't know which Lakers team you want to pick. '88, uh, '80. I mean, like, there's a yeah. there's a lot of great Lakers team. But to me, the greatest offensive basketball team in the history of the sport is. The Golden is this Golden the Golden State team with KD Steph Clay. I mean, you basically have when you when <laughs> yeah. the, they have the greatest shooter of all time. I think Clay is one of the five greatest shooters of all time, and it's hard not to say KD is not one of the ten greatest shooters of all time. Yeah. So you have on one team you have three of the top eight nine shooters ever, and then you you support them with Draymond and Iguodala. I mean. That's a that's a really because Draymond can pass. Oh shit! And Iguodala can is a glue guy, elite defender, and at one point in his life he was a scorer. Yeah, for Philly. So I mean, he he plays fifth fiddle, but um, a really good player in his own right. So I mean, that is a murderer's row of a lineup. And so the other thing that was the backdrop of for people now, I feel like I'm talking to people in the future. The thing you have to understand about this, these playoffs, and this, and this, uh, and this season for Golden State was, remember you had the Draymond KD public explosion, that it felt like it was the elephant in the room. The entire season was that this was going to be the final year of this group. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of drama. There was a lot of tension around all that. And then KD goes down with this calf thing against the Clippers. Against no, against the Rockets. Yes. And then in the moment, without KD, the Warriors go to another level. Play better. Play better, <laughs> arguably, and beat the Rockets, sweep Portland and go to the finals without Kevin Durant. And then in the finals, there was this whole, is he going to play? Is he not going to play? And then Kevin Durant comes in and plays, plays great for a quarter, and then blows his Achilles in the early stages of the second quarter at Toronto. You can't write that stuff. You can't write that stuff. I mean, it, it, and it's that's another moment where, where everything on paper said the Warriors should win. But the, the thing that people may not realize is the human elements to being on top. So that 24 months of, you know, they win a title, they get KD, they win, they win, uh, or no, they lose a title. They lose 3-1, and, and then they to, get, yeah. Yeah, and they lose to Cleveland. They get KD, they win, they win. You know, they're going to China in the summer. There's like 
these guys are they're playing till June. They, they there's no off button when you're winning titles like right. that, which is the hardest thing to do is to repeat and to keep winning. And that team on paper should have never lost a game ever, ever. But but what happens is the grind of life wears you down. The grind of personalities. The grind of who who gets who what, gets the credit or who gets who the, what was are here the narratives? first? Who was yeah. and guys like Draymond. And guys like Kevin Durant don't handle that stuff very no. good. Steph and Clay kind of are like, whatever. I think those guys are, are a rare case. Their fathers are yeah. level-headed guys that played in the NBA. Draymond and, and, and KD, they're a little bit more mercur- uh, like they're mercurial, right? Yeah. They're, like some they people, want to know. They want like they're, some guys want the credit. Yes, they want the credit. They don't want the blame. They want and they the wear of life gets to them more I think. Yeah. They're more they they get they're more sensitive to some things and I think that's kind of what happened and then you throw in the injuries on top of that at the end of the year. That's the only way they lose they don't win the title. Cuz that's that's two things within that. Cuz this I was going to say about Toronto but I can say it now. First of all, well, I'll say this about what you were saying about the grind of it. What's crazy is for as good as that we they were and how they were the greatest offensive team of all time. What's crazy is they won two out of three with that group together, but they were lucky to get past Houston their second year. Yeah. Houston had them beat. Houston had their number. Had them. They were up 3-2. Had them beat. Chris Paul pulls the hammy. Pulled hammy, and then Houston misses 27 threes at home in game seven. Or Houston should have beat Golden State. So it just it's just to show. I think it's a great example of what you're talking about. Like, yeah, it, talent doesn't always prevail. It has to like there's there's a chemistry thing with basketball that has to be right. But the other thing within this this uh, that the specific finals is you you can disagree with me if you want. I believe that if Clay Thompson doesn't tear his ACL, that Golden State was going to fuck around and beat Toronto in the NBA Finals. I think they would have. They were on a run. They were on a run to come back because that was game six, right? Yep. And Clay was going. Clay was, Clay playing was in like, his zone. Clay yeah. was like, like he game like what was it? Game six at uh, Oklahoma City or game five at Oklahoma City or, or game six? I think in 2016, yeah, where like in the Western Conference Finals, where he was on another level. Everybody talks about when he gets the look in his eye. It's like the most dangerous thing in the yes. world. And it, it happens like once every handful of games. And he had that game you watched, he was going off. And then he tears his knee tears up. Tears his knee up. I'm just so even with for a, as banged up and as as Golden State was, like if if he doesn't tear his ACL, I think they 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 would have beaten Toronto. That was their that was their destiny this year. It was it, it was, was like you know some things are meant to be and it not was meant, meant to, be. to be. It just wasn't meant to be. It was all falling apart and that was the direction it was going and it was almost took the injuries to kind of complete it cuz like the the human factor was getting there and it took the injuries to kind of complete it cuz it yeah. was just like and then it was over and then Kevin Durant for some reason doesn't want to be on a team he just won two titles with. It's Which pretty is, amazing. Uh, I, I can't believe it, but okay. But here we are. Here we so are. A, a dynasty that a team that is weird. I never liked Kevin Durant going to Golden State. I didn't like it. 
But with that said, I enjoy that team was like if you like watching gorgeous basketball, come on. The way they played when they, they were passed, clicking, they passed oh. the ball well. It, you know, and, and it was cool to watch KD go from like ISO ball, my turn, your turn, my turn, your turn with Russ and OKC to his first the first season with Golden State, he was like moving the ball and like playing the right way, and it was beautiful. That's what they should have they should have really just tried to harness that for the rest of their careers. Whatever they did in that first season together, they kind of got away from it a little bit, year two, a little bit. But that first year when they, I mean, you shouldn't. Unbelievable. It's hard to beat that team. Un- unbelievable. So the the dynasty for Golden State comes to an end. That is number five. All right. Thanks for listening to part one of the 2019 sports year in review. Uh, get ready for part two dropping tomorrow. We'll have the rest of the countdown, our top four sports moments slash stories of 2019. Some really good stuff still to break down. And then we also, Bo and I are going to dive into a little pop culture. We're going to give our album of the year, song of the year, movie of the year, and TV show of the year. That's all coming up on part two, dropping tomorrow. In the meantime, make sure you subscribe to the pod Make sure you give it a five-star rating. Make sure you leave a nice review. Make sure you share it with your friends. Tell everybody about it. And I appreciate you guys listening. So appreciate you locking us in for part one. Again, part two of the 2019 Sports Year in Review drops tomorrow. We'll holler at you there. Production.